Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My name is Danielle Steers and you're listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. Please join me in welcoming a West End leading lady with one of the most unique voices in the industry. With stage credits including The Bodyguard, Legally Blonde the Musical, Respect La Diva and originating roles including Zahara in Bat Out of Hell, there's really no stopping her taking over the stage. Currently playing Catherine Parr in the all-new West End production of Six, it's time to welcome a touch of royalty to the podcast. As she marks the release of her new album, The Future Ain't What It Used To Be, it's time to talk overcoming self-doubt and fandoms, learning to love her differences and working with legends with Danielle Steers on this, the next episode of Eleven the official theatre podcast. Due to the global COVID-19 pandemic, Danielle and I connected digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Danielle Steers, welcome to Eleven. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so pleased that we get the opportunity to talk today. I've got lots and lots of questions. But first of all, and most importantly, let's do a check-in with you. I know things are pretty crazy at the minute. So I guess, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. I mean, lockdown three, um, it's starting to get harder, but I'm just trying to be positive and optimistic and keep myself busy but it it definitely is getting harder and harder so I just got to take each day as it comes I guess yeah we're about a month in now and I feel like it's starting to get mm. to a that sort of slightly difficult territory but we will continue as we always do because there's yes. lots of exciting things coming up and that brings me to the first thing that I want to talk about which is probably the most exciting part of this podcast is your album so it's here we finally get some new work from you it's unbelievably exciting talk to me about why you wanted to do it what was the inspiration behind particularly these tracks and why you wanted to record this yeah so I was in a little show called Bat Out of Hell for about three years and uh, the fans were so and still are um, incredibly supportive and I just wanted to give a little something back to them and I I'm a huge fan of Jim Steinman anyway so I thought why not record an album of Jim Steinman tracks some stuff that people already know and some stuff that maybe people haven't heard before 
Um, so yeah, it was just about giving something back, really. And it's such a wonderful collection of songs, like you mentioned, that, that some that we know, some perhaps that we're going to be introduced to for the first time. Was that sort of a strategic thing for you, where you wanted people to, to obviously have something new to listen to, as well as some of the amazing songs that we saw in the musical as well? Some of the songs have sort of got a bit lost, especially if you're not like a true Jim Steinman fan. But they're songs that I've had on repeat and listened to for so long. Um, and I just felt like maybe I could give them a, maybe a new coat of paint and do something a little bit different with them and maybe open them up to a younger audience as well. In terms of picking your favourites, I, I mean, the catalogue is ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know how you ever make a decision on on which songs you include. How, how did you whittle it down? Um, I think to start with, I went on Instagram and Twitter and just asked people what their favourite Steinman tracks was so that I could sort of tally them up and see what the top ones were. Um, and I knew that I wanted to do Total Eclipse and Holding Out for a Hero, um, but I wasn't sure on some of the others. And obviously two out of three ain't bad had to go on the album. Um, but just in terms of hearing some new stuff, I wanted to ask the fans. Um, so I kind of went with the top ones that they picked, yeah. Did you know when you were recording the album or perhaps more when you were in the show that you would essentially have an anthem all of your own? Because the success of Two Out of Three Ain't Bad For You, it's sort of become your torch song in a way. Yeah, and it's really lovely. And I remember auditioning for the show and um, I'd never sang that song before, but I just... I love singing it and it's evolved so much from when I first started singing it to how I sing it now. Um, and people always come to me with that song. Oh, will you sing this? Will you sing this? So yeah, it's, uh, it's really lovely, but I, I still love singing the song now to this day. It's my fave. And did you work with Jim on the album itself? I sent him a few messages. He was well on board. He sent me a little note on my opening night in Manchester, which was very, very lovely. Um, and he's just been incredibly supportive of the album. And I will be sending him one this week. <laughs> <laughs> you got his blessing, though, which feels like, especially from someone of his status. Gosh, I mean, what does that feel like when you, you know, you work on, not just on the show, but specifically on someone's body of work? And then they sort of give you the tick to say, yeah, I, I like this. Yeah, it's, it was quite scary, to be fair, because, like I said, I've um, myself and Noam Galperin, who did my arrangements and has produced the album and also played keys um, and mixed as well. He's amazing. Um, we just wanted to rearrange them. I was a little bit like, oh, is that too far from the original or can we get away with it? Um, but I love the new arrangements and I just I hope Jim does too. When you were doing the musical itself and, you know, whenever we see these types of musicals where we've heard, you know, the songs in different settings before, I think it's always very, very brave of the individual that gets to originate to to do what exactly what you did, which is make it their own. I think that's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do, to put it out to the world and say, I know you love this song, but come with me on this new journey. Were you nervous about doing that when you first started, you know, particularly when the production first debuted in Manchester? Yeah, I was. And with Two Out of Three being such a well-known song and also Dead Ringer as well, it was quite scary, but I wanted to stay as true to Jim as I could. So I didn't want to be adding like riffs and stuff like that and um, changing the tune of the song. So I tried to st stay as true to Jim as I possibly could because that was an easier way to ease everyone in, especially with a female singing the song as well, um, which hadn't really been done before. So, yeah, but I think I think I did it justice. I hope I did it justice. Yeah, I think you did. I think that's an understatement <laughs> to say that. I, I can tell you as, as somebody that was lucky enough on uh, three occasions, not 
the production that you you guys had first in London and then um, twice when you were in the West End to to get to experience it live. And I mean, the fan reaction, I must confess, I sort of went in knowing a few songs and then did that thing of realising I knew a lot of songs. Gosh, the fans' reaction was crazy. When did you first start to realise that actually I think they quite like it? Um, Sometimes I would hear like... <laughs> When I opened my mouth to sing, I'd hear like, the oh, gasp was quite funny. Um, and especially like in America, they'd start clapping when I started singing the song. I felt like I was on stars in their eyes, <laughs> which is really funny. But I got, yeah, I got such a wonderful, wonderful reaction. And people would always tweet me and stuff and say how much they love me singing that song. And that was really wonderful for me. And yeah, it's, it's, that's a huge part of my life, but I do hold that particular song very, very close to my heart. You did mention just there about going to um, New York. You did get the opportunity to sort of make the American debut with the show and for people to get to see it in its full status and capacity. What was it like getting to continue with a role like Zahara and get to obviously introduce a brand new piece of work to individuals in the States? Yeah, I mean, I'd never been to America before. So I was literally living in Times Square. I was living the dream. <laughs> um, but the show was slightly different and we had a different set and I only knew two of the cast members which were Christina Bennington and Andrew Pollock from the London cast so it was a whole new thing for me um and just relearning stuff um and the audiences are crazy out there like I love it like they just shout whoop and holler like all the way through the show and I loved that um it's just a very different audience out there um, but they loved the show and um, yeah, I'd love to go back and do something else out there for sure. I'm sure they'd love you because the reaction really was crazy during that period that you guys were there. I mean, social media was just awash with excitement, I think, because the show had such had such an impact in the UK. I think people sort of were caught by surprise in a way. And I, I mean that very much as a positive. How, I guess, how did you feel? I mean, apart from exhausted, I imagine, how did you feel every night when you finally got the opportunity to sit on the sofa at home? It was um, pretty electric, actually. I mean, the especially like doing it in Manchester, no one had ever done the show before. We didn't know what the audience's reaction was going to be. Um, and that opening night was just like, okay, we've created something really special. And it just got bigger and bigger and became more of a spectacle. And they threw more money at it. And we had fire and fire rain. And you could just feel the energy from the audience, them singing along. And yeah, it was it was amazing. Every single night was completely different. And I, I love that. I also love the fact that it originated in, in London in an, a traditionally operatic venue as well, which felt so punk and sort of slightly naughty. Yeah, it did actually. It felt very, it actually sat in there really well and the way that the set came out into the auditorium as well. Um, and I think, you know, it kind of was a bit of a rock opera. I mean, Jim Steinman's songs are like 10 minutes long. So, you know, it kind of sits in that genre. But I think a lot of people were a bit like, oh, it's going into an opera house. Not really sure. But I think, I think we, um, yeah, we change people's minds. You are instantly recognisable. I feel like if we were to, you know, play five different clips, I'd be able to spot your voice straight away. And and it's something that's become your, you know, it's become your signature. It's made you incredibly unique. And it's why, you know, you've had this incredible career so far and you've had all the success and the continued success. But have you always had, you know, a good relationship with the fact that you do stand out and it is different and it does make you unique? Yeah, I mean, ever since I was like 10 years old, I've had this sort of deep husky voice I used to sing carpenters when I was little like that was my thing and everyone always thought that I was a lot older 
than I was just because of how deep my voice is. Um, and it's, I feel like it's not hindered me in some parts, but I always found it quite hard sometimes to like blend in. Um, and I do my best, obviously, um, in terms of choral singing and stuff. But sometimes I think maybe it might be a bit stand out too much in the wrong way. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's hard, but I've I've learned to embrace that I my voice is quite different, and I love that now. I love this idea that we all, you know, we all had these things when we're younger, which is a bit like, oh, I wouldn't mind changing that. And then, weirdly enough, yeah. I feel like we all have these little things where they almost become the thing that we love that's different about ourselves. It's it's yeah, it, it's quite a weird it's quite a weird journey I think that we go on as as individuals. No, I I love that, and I think everyone should embrace that different thing about them because it's what makes you you. Um, and I love that, you know, people can sort of hear a track and be like, oh, that sounds like that's Danielle. Um, I guess that's a good thing, right? I mean, gosh, absolutely. I mean, if it was, <laughs> if it was a bad thing, I feel like we wouldn't be doing this. I'd be like, I don't know who that is. So, I mean, hey, I'm all one for embracing differences at the best of times. So I'd yes. say... I'd say go with it. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because I'm just remembering when I came to see you in Beautiful, which was the yeah. first time I'd ever had the opportunity to to come across your work. And um, you came on, you you did the number and it was, and I must confess, I'm a real sort of diehard Carol King fan anyway. So I, I did sort of go into that show wanting to not like it. And I think because you right. feel very protective over the work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm, I mean, apart from the fact the show is fantastic, you just the way in which you interpreted that song it felt so unique and I can imagine for you as an artist I mean what a catalogue to get to perform once again I mean gosh what was what was being in that show like I I loved doing beautiful I did it for two years and um just my favorite thing was doing that quick change behind that screen and as the Shirelle to sing will you still love me tomorrow and I just loved singing that song every night it never got old I just and it's such a well-known song as well. So I was a bit like, oh, God, are people going to like it? Um, and Carol King came to see the show as well. So that was terrifying, um, singing her song to her. Um, but the show itself is, pardon the pun, but it is a beautiful show. And I wish it had run for longer. I hope it comes back. I love the fact there's like the locomotion in there, which obviously we all associate <laughs> of our generation with like Kylie, but actually oh, it had this yeah. life all the way before. And it's, yeah. it's nice to explore that because this was one of the first jobs that you had in the West End, but it wasn't the first job, right? Yeah. So this was like my first sort of role. Um, but my first ever job was a show called Respect La Diva, but my big West End show was Legally Blonde. That is a show that, I mean, um, anyone that's listening to this podcast will know that the episode before, which is actually out today where, while we record this is with Orfe who originated the role of Paulette in that show she she spoke about the fact that she sort of went into it you know loving the mu movie and, and knowing that the production team was good but was not quite prepared for the reaction I mean it it did I mean I don't think I'm wrong in saying it has changed the landscape of how we view movie musicals adapted for the stage mm -hmm. when you're part of that show and when you get to be in it um apart from the fact that the audience reaction loves it. It just looks like really good fun. Oh, so much fun. I had the best time on that job and I thought, oh, maybe it's because it was my first big job, but I would go back right now and do the same track that I did all those years ago, like tomorrow. I had so much fun. I had like 17 quick changes and 12 wig changes, like living the dream. This is my favourite thing ever. But we just had a laugh and it's just... It's crazy. I, I loved it. I loved it. Just 
Danielle Steers love pink as much as you'd have to for that show? <laughs> Maybe not as much as I'd have to for that show. Um, yeah, I definitely, um, the, the, I mean, the outfits are amazing and just getting to wear those juicy couture velour tracksuits. Yeah. Because you did also cover Pilar, is that right? Second cover, yeah. And then in terms of your um, ensemble tracks, were you you were in the courthouse as well? Yeah, I was the judge. I was um, the sales lady, the nice sales lady. The nice one. Okay, good. The nice one. Yeah. Uh, who else did I play? I played uh, the bend and snap, um, the hairdresser. Um, oh, I did so many tracks. It was so much fun. So much fun. As the judge, you get one of my favourite lines, which is the um, court reconvenes at the scene of the crime, which just is like the, the smallest little vignette of the show, but... I just remember it so vividly because it's like, this is a scene-stealing part. Yeah, and sitting on the toilet and doing <laughs> that. Yeah, I loved playing the judge. Yeah, it was, um, and I was only, I think I just turned 20 as well. So like for me to get to do that and play all those parts was really wonderful, really special. Was it nice for you, um, thinking back to your training and, and obviously your desires to want to work in, you know, a big glitzy West End musical. And you did that at the Savoy, which is, you know, one of the most recognisable theatres that we're lucky to have in the West End. Getting to go to work every, you know, get up in the morning and go to work, knowing you're going to be part of a successful full scale fun, produ- uh, fun production that you loved doing. Was that the sort of way you had your first pinch me moment? Yeah, I guess it was. And I I mean, Legally Blonde was never a show that I saw myself in. Like if you'd, if you'd have asked me at college, like five shows that you think you're going to be in, Legally Blonde wouldn't even made it into the top 50. Um, but I just, yeah, it's that thing where you stand on stage and you look out and you're like, I've done it. I've, I'm where I wanted to be. Um, and to be in that show as well was just incredible. Yeah, I feel very lucky. Orfei spoke um, in her podcast interview with me about how if Legally Blonde was to happen now, she feels like well, there would be different opportunities for the casting bracket and she feels like she would love mm-hmm. to see a woman of colour play Elwoods and some of the other leading roles in there. Do you think that that would have been something that would be welcomed and I imagine something that would be quite exciting if we were to get a revival production? Yeah, I mean, I would love, love, love to see um, a woman of colour play L I think it would just change things completely um but also like I'd love to play Paulette I think you know having a black woman or a woman of color play any of the characters that aren't traditionally um you know played by people of color I think would be very very much welcomed for sure last year which feels like a long time ago but um was turn up London where you got to live out something that I'm very jealous of and I was badgering you all day about is your Donna Summer fantasy when you sang um, Enough is Enough No More Tears. I'm a diehard Donna Summer fan everybody knows that but I mean the way that that you created vocals for that song is something that I've never ever heard before as well. What was it like firstly being part of Turn Up? Yeah I um, I felt very honoured to be asked to be a part of Turn Up. Um, I watched every single night um, because it was so special um and cried and especially with what was going on in the world is going on in the world i felt like it was it was like the perfect time to do that um and just i felt so proud of all my friends that were a part of it and making it um and it the world needed it and i think we should do one every year (laughs) i feel like without giving too much away we have said we are going to do it again so it means we get more donna summer from you hopefully I'm noticing a little bit of a pattern between your career is that you just jump from one icon to another. I feel like you're drawn to these (laughs) musical giants. I feel like who else could she play? Because you were in The Bodyguard as well. 
that was terrifying singing those songs. I always said, like, from being young, I will never touch a Whitney Houston song, never ever. And then being cast in the bodyguard <laughs> and having to sing like the iconic Saving All My Love for You. Um, but yeah, it was it was a pretty awesome job. And working with Beverly Knight and Alexandra Burke as well. Um, dreams. Also, no pressure singing a duet of Run To You with Beverly Knight and Alexandra Burke. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Unfortunately, I never got to go on with either of them. Um, I did get on for Nikki a few times, but um, only when they were off. So that was sad for me. But one day. It's a bit like, actually, do you know what? I don't mind. I'm yeah. actually, I'm good with that. I'll sit this one out. Yeah, it's fine. I'll watch. <laughs> <laughs> Since the Black Lives Matter protest, particularly of, of 2020 last year, do you feel that there has been a I appreciate that the arts are, you know, on pause at the moment in terms of being back to the sort of the usual openness that they would be when theatres are full. But do you feel like there has been a shift with regards to conversations in the industry and people's want and willingness to realise that, frankly, where we were just simply wasn't good enough? Mm-hmm. I think people are picking up on it and, you know, seeing these big castings for co- uh, for concerts and things. Um, you are seeing, you know... Um, more people of colour being put on there Um, and then people are also calling others out if there's not enough people of colour. I think it's hard but it definitely is getting better. I mean when I started um, auditioning if there were other people of colour in the room you knew that you were up for the same part like there was just room for like one person of colour. I understand you know I'm half white so I see my white privilege as well. I think change is is coming and things are moving but a lot more could be done for sure. It's great to hear, even from your experience at a grassroots level, you know, being in six and being within as a performer, that you feel like the conversations are happening. Yeah, it is. Um, I I fell out with so many people uh, during the first lockdown, um, just having conversations on Facebook and stuff like that. And some people just won't take the time to listen. And that's the hardest thing. And, you know, there's only so many things you can say and only so much you can say. And if people aren't going to listen, it's just like talking to a brick wall, really. I mean, we'll we'll see and I'll, you know, keep on keeping on. One show that has quite literally shifted the parameters of theatre is a very small off, off, off West End show that I think people may have heard of called, I think it's called Six. I don't know if you've heard of that. <laughs> I think I have, yes. Before we started recording, I, I did say that I was very lucky in my predictions and estimations I'm not quite sure what to call it that I selected a performance of six to come and see which ended up being your last one before this current lockdown which I felt very privileged to be at and was um, actually more rowdy than I think a Lady Gaga concert it felt a little bit like a sing-along I must confess I think that was maybe just for me and my friends everyone knew that it was the last one they were just trying to get it out of their systems yeah (laughs) when I heard that you were going to be cast in this show I never would have considered you for it and I don't know if that's perhaps to my ignorance but the second I read your name on on I think it was the what's on stage article I just went well of course like like why would this not happen like I've duh like it was such a you know when you can sort of feel the light bulb going on in your own head and you're like ah but for you knowing the success of the show and and we'll talk about some of the changes that have happened to the show since it's been to New York and this new production that we've got but when you first at the arts theatre wanted to audition for it 
were you like, I'd love to do this, but I'm scared? Or did you just think, do you know what? I know it's got a huge following, but I'm just going to commit and let's see what's happening. How did you approach it? To be honest, I'd not really listened to any of the music before I got an audition for it. I knew there was a huge buzz about it, but I'm very much that person. I like to see a show before I listen to the soundtrack. Um, And then I was asked to come in to audition for Catherine of Aragon and Anna of Cleves for the UK tour um and I was like okay cool yeah I can I can I think I can do that and I had listened to the songs um and I terrified myself because I saw the huge following behind the show um and then they called me back in to audition for Catherine Parr and I was like absolutely not I cannot do that that is not happening like never in a million years would I put myself as a Catherine Parr um and then the same day that I auditioned I got a call to say that I got it in town which was a huge shock. And I wet my pants a little bit, you know, oh no, this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then when they announced that I got the show, my, yeah, my phone went mental because it has the biggest fan base of any show I know. Um, And that's been quite hard to, um, it's been quite challenging. Challenge. Challenge is a good word and challenges is worked mm-hmm. both ways because I can imagine when you join yeah. a show like that and as much as we joke about the fandom being huge, you know, it's very much part of the success of the show. But when you then enter that yeah. bubble, did you feel, okay, this is mine for the taking, I'm here, this is what I can deliver? Or did you try and be different perhaps to Maya before or the person that we've listened to on the studio recording, I guess? How did you carve out the Catherine Parr that, that we see on stage now? Well, I knew for sure that, um, you know, I don't have those R&B vocals. I wasn't going to sound anything like the girls before that had done it. Um, And that scared me because everyone was so used to hearing Azuka and hearing Maya as well. That was, for me, was terrifying. Also, my Instagram pre-six is creeping back in now, but I was quite nudie. You know, I'm very much body positivity um, and a lot of the fans didn't like that. I was being sort of like slut shamed online, um, which was really hard to deal with. So as well as trying to make Catherine Parr my own in a sense of um, I'm going to do this completely differently because I don't want to be compared to anyone else. And that's the whole meaning of the show to compare, you know, um, people. So I was dealing with that and also the abuse that I was getting online. So it was really, really difficult to balance the two. And it really got to me, um, really, really, really got to me. And I've never felt like that before. Uh, So it it was challenging in itself, the whole thing. And even now when I sing the song, it's so not me. So I have to put as much of me into it as I physically can. Um, And it terrifies me singing it every single night. I will say, and we're not allowed favourites, and I'm sure I'll get lots of people saying, I don't agree with you, but I do think it is the role that I would play because you get to go on that journey that when the shift finally happened, you go, oh my gosh, yes, this is exactly it. And for you being the being the only one that survives him must be quite nice yeah of course yeah <laughs> always <laughs> i do find if you just go back to to what you were saying a second ago i do find it somewhat surprising and perhaps this is a slightly simplistic question but a show that celebrates women and individuality and not comparing find somebody like you having to face pretty much all of those hurdles i mean is it naive to say that that's surprising 
Yeah, I think it's so um, incredible that every single queen, um, every single person that's played a queen has been completely different. And I take my hat off to Toby and Lucy for being so, you know, open to that and just letting people do what they want to do and making the queen their own for that purpose of people not comparing other people. Um, and like I said, if you were, if you're a true you know fan of the show you will understand that message of not comparing each other and that goes for life as well the new production if we're if we're allowed to call it that i feel like we can i feel like it's a compliment <laughs> has a much bigger stage much bigger set and also some pretty nifty new costumes do you feel like an actual princess with your new sort of what would you call it like i don't know is it a harness oh, i mean what's the center of it that's the word harness peplum. what am i talking about yeah <laughs> No, I love I love my new costume. And to be honest with you, I wasn't sure to start with. Um, and when I went in for my first fitting, I was like, am I getting a peplum? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but Gabriella Slade, who's designed the costumes, she, she was absolutely wonderful. And she made sure that I had it to fit exactly how I wanted it to and to stick out as much as I wanted it um, so that I felt super comfortable in it. But it was quite hard getting used to that because it's quite restricting. So I have to change some of my moves up and stuff. We should say as well that the changes that we reference in the show are there are obviously um, costume changes because the production went to Broadway. And then also there are a few um, words in the show that have been changed and sentences and obviously musically as well and I believe some of those changes have come into your song as well is that right yes they have most of the musical changes are around um so like fake par we call it fake par which is going into her song um and then also we have going into the remix that's all musically changed but it was really cool like hearing that for the first time and learning the new choreo uh, but most of the musical changes do sort of center around that part of the show um but so many new tricks and like the lighting and we've got like this whole new back wall and it's just like leveled up it's it's really you feel like an absolute pop star like you feel like you're in, a, in an arena doing a world tour it's amazing <laughs> Because you've obviously done the show before and this isn't the first time that, that you've been on stage in the full production, do you ever have those trigger moments where you go back to what was before? Are you at like, oh no, we've changed this? Yeah, um, and I unfortunately got a chest infection um, in the second week that we were at the Lyric um, and having gone back after a few days then, I was like, oh no, I've forgotten all the new stuff. Like it's gone, it's all gone. I can't remember it, but luckily my body did just slip into, but you've got to be on it all the time. There's no room to go onto autopilot and sit back and relax. <laughs> to be fair, you've got an army of people that will be like, Danielle, that's not how it goes. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. No lyric slips, nothing. Yeah, got to be on it. Where did the now infamous, and you've got lots of things that are associated with you, but I don't, is it like a back bend? Where did that come from? So I guess that kind of came from Bat Out of Hell, actually. Um, at the end, there's a picture of me sort of with my leg in the air doing a back bend at the end of Dead Ringer. And that became like my thing, like my pose. Um, and then I was like, can I get a back bend into six? Is anyone going to tell me off? I'm just going to keep doing it until someone tells me off. Um, and I spoke to Carrie Ann, our incredible choreographer. She was like yeah that's fine keep it in so yeah that's kind of become the thing before i'm too old to be able to do it anymore i hope we're still friends in 50 years so i can i can say do you remember when we recorded that podcast won't even be around then but i'll be like right come on and two three 
and you'll be like, nah, because I mean, We're I'm sure if, the other way, yeah, yeah, you'll be like <laughs> forward, you'll be like an incline, not an out, yeah. but yeah, gosh, yeah. good luck. I look forward to Thank seeing you. you and your what was that word you said? It's not harness, what did you say? Oh, my peplum, <laughs> that's a peplum, that's that's my word of the day. Thank you, everyone. So, that's going to be what I've remembered. I look forward to seeing that and you very soon, but most importantly, please stay safe. You too, bye bye. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at club11.london or via our official social channels. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.